This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, Well, then what shall we do? And in reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. And soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. And as the people were filled with expectation, they were all questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah. And John answered all of them, saying, I baptize with water, but one more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary. But the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. The gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that gospel text as my text this morning from Luke's gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. And if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1020. Luke's gospel, chapter 3, and beginning at verse 7. I've titled my talk this morning, Christ is Coming, What to Do and What Not to Do. Christ is Coming, What to Do and What Not to Do. And so Christ is Coming. Of course, not a few people doubt that. In fact, people have been doubting that for a long time, even from the beginning. Um, and for those who might be tempted to doubt the reality of Christ's coming, which Christ himself said can happen at a time when you least expect it, the Apostle Peter wrote this in the first century. He said, do not overlook this one fact, beloved. He's writing to Christian people. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Well, we've been waiting a couple thousand years. <laughs> That's the way we mark the time. Just a couple of days with God, 
we're wondering when he's going to get around to doing what he said he was going to do. And he would reply and say, it's only been a couple days. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand, as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And so the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But rather, God is patient toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, should he come too soon. But that all should reach repentance. And still, of course, some might uh, think it's stupid uh, to believe in the coming of the Lord. In fact, I, I like that saying someone has attributed to Noah. I think I mentioned it a week or so ago. And Noah said, sometimes faith makes you look stupid till it starts raining. <laughs> and John says that Christ is coming. Indeed, notice uh, again, beginning at verse 15. And as the people were in expectation, the people who were going out to John, they were all questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. But John answered them and said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so John says that he's not the Christ. People were wondering that. It's not a great surprise that they might wonder. He kind of seemed like, well, he certainly wasn't an ordinary man, and neither is the Messiah that is coming. But John's own testimony was that he's not. Instead, John says that the Christ who's coming, amongst other things, is greater than he. Indeed, uh, John said that uh, he didn't even count himself worthy to be the, the coming Messiah's slave. He said that I, I'm not worthy to do slave's work in relationship to him. And that's what he meant when he said I'm not worthy to, to bend down and untie the, the, the laces of his sandals which was considered to be slaves' work. In fact, it was very interesting. And in, in, uh, in Jesus' day, the rabbis had followers. They had disciples. And the disciples did various different things in service to their rabbis. But there was one exception. The disciples were, did not have to do anything relative to the rabbis' feet. That was slaves' work and was considered to be too undignified, uh, even for a disciple, in relationship to his rabbi. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. And John says that uh, while he baptizes with water, the Christ that is coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit, which is really an extraordinary thing to say. It's interesting, so these things in the Bible that are so shocking and Maybe we don't get shocked by them. Maybe we're not paying close attention. I mean, we understand John was baptizing people in water. The one who's coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you in God. <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> Indeed, John says that uh, this one who is coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In fact, by the way, and you may not even realize this, but this is the experience of every true believer in Christ. 
And the apostles made much of this because Jesus touched on it. Perhaps for the first time in any fuller sense, just the night before he was betrayed or the night that he was betrayed. In fact, Paul, writing to the believers at Rome, wrote this famously in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. And you, you believers at, at Rome, are, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God doesn't belong to him. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies after you die through his spirit that dwells in you. Verse 14, and all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. This is indicative of being born again. Being a child of God, all those who are led by the Spirit because they've been baptized in the Spirit are the sons of God. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit or the immaterial part of us, our mind and our heart, that we are the children of God. And John says in addition that when this Christ comes, he will also baptize with fire. Indeed, John says that he will separate the evil from the good. Jesus talks about this in other places. When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory, he will separate the nations as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Seems to be a, compi- a, 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 a particular and central theme of what will happen when he comes again. The separation of the evil and the good, the separation between believe, the, those believing and those who are unbelieving, as we would use the language here, as was used in Peter and by John, the repentant and the unrepentant. And he will judge. And hence we have this, as John used it, this threshing floor metaphor. Indeed, notice again verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand (laughs) to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, we don't understand this offhand. It has to be explained. It has to be explained to me. It has to be explained to you. I've never seen this done. I read about it in books. But in ancient times, they would go out to what they called the threshing floor. Sometimes it would be a, a place that was slightly elevated. And there in the Middle East, uh, at the, as, the, as, uh, as the dusk was coming, there'd be a couple of hours where the wind would pick up. And this is the time when they would do their threshing and their winnowing. And they would take the, they would take the, or the, do their winnowing. They would take the wheat that had been threshed and been ridden over and loosened up so that the, the, the chaff that surrounds the kernels of wheat has gotten loosened up and then they would take these winnowing forks and they would throw it up into the air and the kernels of, of, of wheat, which were much heavier than the chaff, in fact, the chaff hardly weighed anything, the wheat would fall right at the, at the person's feet and the chaff would blow all, all over and then finally the chaff would be collected up and burned because it's garbage. What's interesting is John says, 
not that the Christ will get round to doing this. In fact, he's speaking in the present tense. He says the winnowing fork is in his hand. <laughs> he's all ready to do this. To winnow the wheat and to gather the good into his barn. <laughs> that it what? That it might be dried and ground up and turned into bread, a good thing. But the chaff will be sweep, swept up, collected, and thrown in the fire because the chaff is good for nothing. And so John says that Christ is coming. But then, of course, that begs the question, so what to do? <laughs> and John mentions two things. And the first is, he says, be compassionate. How do we get ready for his coming? And the first thing he mentions is, be compassionate. Be merciful to those who are in need. Notice again, beginning at verse 7. And he said, therefore, to the crowds who were coming out to be baptized by him. This is interesting, how to win friends and influence people. You brood of snakes. He's calling them the, the offspring of snakes. <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit, spiritual fruit in keeping with true repentance. When we say we repent, we change our mind and say, God, my way is wrong and your way is right. I'm giving up my way and I'm taking on your way. There's fruit that follows that unless it's just empty words. And so John says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And don't, he says, begin to say to yourselves, oh, well, we have Abraham as our father. We don't have to do all of that. We're part of the group. He says, don't say that. For I tell you, God is able of these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, apparently, at least his original hearers were quite moved by what he said. <laughs> And so they ask him a question. Notice verse 10. And the crowds asked, And what shall we do? We don't want that. What shall we do? And he answered, Whoever has two tunics, two garments, you know, one that you can hang up while you're wearing the other one. That's right. That's, that speaks to your life, right? You have two garments, don't you? <laughs> it's like, this morning you said, Okay, which one am I going to wear? That one or that one? Whoever has two tunics or two garments is to share with the one who has none. And whoever has food should do likewise. Whoever has food should share with the one who doesn't have food. And so John says, be compassionate toward those in need. And then he mentions these two very basics of life. What? Food and clothing. It's brought two scripture texts to my mind, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, and beginning at verse 6, Paul said famously, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that great? Godliness with contentment. 
And I think that's what everybody's searching after, indeed, chasing down. Oh, if I could just be content. And in the lap of luxury and affluence, we can't seem to find it. How ironic. (laughs) Just like Jim Carrey said, I wish everybody could become rich and famous and get everything they ever wanted just so they can find out that that is not the answer. But godliness, with contentment is great gain, he says, for we brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of the world, and if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content, Paul says. Or in Genesis 28, Jacob's famous vow. And we read, and then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, And will keep me if he'll protect me in this way that I go. And if he'll give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. Then the Lord shall be my God. And all that you give me Lord. I will give you a full tenth. And to be compassionate toward the needs of others. To provide them with basic needs if we know and find out indeed we should be we should be finding out is a sign of true repentance it's a it's the fruit it's the effect it's the byproduct of true repentance the byproduct of true spiritual change and to love others as Christ loves them is a sign if you will that we're truly ready to meet Christ when he comes <laughs> When we rejoice in what he rejoices and when his values become our values and what matters to him matters to us, then we're ready. Gregory Boyle in his great book, if you've great, and what a title, Tattoos on the Heart. If you haven't read it, go look for it. Gregory Boyle, Tattoos on the Heart. But he, he said this, true compassion lies not in our service to those on the margin. True compassion lies not in our service to those on the margins, but in our willingness to see ourselves in kinship with them. (laughs) And the goal of kinship is being one with others. That's me. (laughs) I bear the image and likeness of God. This person who needs clothes or needs food bears the image and likeness of God. (laughs) And now I see them in need. And I get to share. The goal of kinship is being one with others. He says, he continues, Indeed, Jesus was not not a man for others. Jesus was one of them. (laughs) And there is a world of difference in that. In fact, many of you give financially to, let's say, ministries even, even in Houston that provide services to people who fall into this category. And you write checks, or you, or you pay online, you send this money. But maybe you've never really had a conversation with the people who are on the receiving end of what you give. Why not call up that ministry and ask if you can come visit and meet some of those people? And maybe not just one time, but maybe on a more regular basis. Some of you give, as Linda and I do, to children overseas. Linda and I have children in 
in Kenya and Bangladesh. And, uh, they, and, they, they, and letters come to you, right? And then you're invited by that ministry to, to respond <laughs> and write a letter back. But you know you're so busy. And so the money gets sent, but you don't really know much a lot about that child. We just got a letter, and I responded to it, came a week or so ago, and, and um, Mercy in Kenya, she said, let Victoria know that I'm praying for her that God will fulfill all her dreams. <laughs> Can you believe this? <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because we're not just people for others. We're one of them. And when we treat them as just an object, we, we fall short of what we could when we're given opportunities to really connect and build a relationship. And so John says, be compassionate toward those who are in need. And then John, sa John says, and, and be just in your dealings with others. Notice uh, beginning at verse 12. And then the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? <laughs> and he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Now, tax collectors, especially in Jesus' day, were notorious for collecting more taxes than were required. In fact, that's how they made a living. Rome said, you better collect this so much for us, or Herod, depending on who you were collecting taxes for. And then, but the guy who has, or the family that has to pay the taxes, they haven't got any, they don't know. They're presented with what, by the tax collector, you, this is what you owe. And many of them became very, very rich. And just the fact that they were Jews collecting taxes for the Herod, and who was not particularly well-liked in Palestine because the Herods were appointed, they were close with the Romans, or, or directly by the Romans. Uh, these people were not allowed, tax collectors were not allowed to go to synagogue and so on. It's interesting that John doesn't say stop collecting taxes. He just says don't, ta don't, don't gouge people. Be fair with them and be just. Indeed, John says that this is to bear true fruits of repentance, to be just and honest in your dealings. And so we have those two things. John says, be compassionate toward those who are in need and be just in your dealings. Are you just in your dealings? Your business dealings? Are you Would people describe you as fair? That's what this means. Well, we'll leave it with her. We'll leave it with him. We know that she's fair. Reminds me of what the prophet Micah said famously. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. God has told you, O man, what is good. God has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require but to do justice? To do justice. To be fair and honest. And to love kindness. <laughs> what an expression. Do you love kindness? Or is kindness something you feel like you have to do? Love it, the prophet says. 
Do justice and love kindness. Oh boy, I get to be kind again. <laughs> In fact, it's so good, I think I'm going to put it on the calendar. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, kindness. <laughs> and walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And then John tells us what not to do. And what does he have? Two things. And the first is, don't abuse your power. That probably is, except maybe, well, even these, some of these teenagers in here, they got power too. Yeah, I'm remembering, yeah. Yeah, there's power. Right? People at the school get bullied. Right? There's people power with power and others that don't. The victim and the perpetrator. John says, um, what should you do in light of the fact that this righteous God is coming in the person of his son, Jesus Christ? Don't abuse your power. Notice verse 14. And the soldiers also asked him. These are probably Jewish soldiers that would have served with Herod or, or were members of the temple guard. The soldiers also were coming out. They asked John, and what should we do? I love this. <laughs> Man, what should we do? What should we do? And notice what he said. And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Soldiers were notorious for abusing their power. Can you imagine? I mean, they're there. The law come to you. And extorting money from people. Well, you know what we're going to do to you? We're going to take you. We're to take you down here. I don't know who's going to look after your family. But if you give me a few denarii, what have you, and by the way, what have you got? What would you be willing to pay? And what recourse does this poor peasant have? None. There's like the Bill of Rights. There's nothing. There's Rome and the people that, that enforce Roman law and break Roman law. Extorting money or bringing up people on false charges to take them down and then the judge finds them and then, the, and then there's a kickback to the soldier for bringing that person in and having them fined. And John says, don't do that. When God comes again in the person of the Messiah, he's not going to say, oh, well, bygones be bygones. That will matter, is what John is saying. And so bearing the fruits of repentance includes not abusing your power. And John says, be content with your pay. In fact, you know what? Discontent brings about a lot of evil in the world and in our lives. And when we're content, that can save us from a whole lot of trouble. It keep us from hating people and resenting people and doing things that are wrong, maybe even illegal. Because we feel, like I, when I was a, a pastor and vicar in a church, another church, there was a guy who was working for the state. And, uh, and he was stealing from the state until he finally got caught and it was... 
It was a lot of money, maybe a couple of hundred thousand dollars, I don't remember. But he thought the state owed it to him because he didn't get, an, he didn't get a, a promotion that he thought he deserved. <laughs> I had to go to court and testify and on behalf of him and his family and his son and the whole thing, right? All started because he wasn't content with what he had. And so John tells them, be content with what you have and don't abuse your power. And then John says, and don't take anything for granted related to your true standing with God. Notice uh, verse 7 again. And John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That's the thing. Don't just come out here to take a look at me. <laughs> you know, they didn't have TV and Netflix and so on. So let's go out and see that madman, John, out there by the Jordan River. You got any extra time? Yeah, let's, you know, let's just make a weekend of it. <laughs> Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't go that way. Don't think you're in in some kind of automatic way. For I tell you that God is able of these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so being interested in spiritual things, or let's go hear that preacher, or let's go see that John down there. They say, God, do they say that he's like Elijah? He wears this camel hair jumper and a leather belt around. He eats locusts and honey, and that's it. And water from the river, or wherever else he can find it. And they say they've never heard anybody talk like this guy. And John says, that's not enough. Who told you to come out here? Or being a member of the covenant community, it's not enough. Don't say, oh, we're children of Abraham. That's not enough. We're members of the church. I was baptized and confirmed. We hear this stuff all the time. Well, yeah, well I don't go to church much anymore, <clears throat> but I was baptized and confirmed at St. whatever, St. Swithin's. It's not enough. When the Lord comes back, he won't be asking you for a letter of transfer. Indeed, the only thing that counts with God is radical change, which is what John preached. The true fruit of repentance. And everything else will be judged, John says. And he says, now is the time to act. In fact, that's what he means by that last metaphor. Notice Verse 9, and now even the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Listen, have you ever cut down a tree or a bush that had a, you know, a substantial you know, trunk? What do you do? You got the axe, right? What's the first thing you do before you take the first swing? You lay it at the root, right? You, that, and that's what, John, that's what John is saying. He's saying that it's there. The, the winnowing fork is in his hand. And the axe, his axe, is at the root of the tree. 
The next thing that happened, that's step one. Put it, it's like, that's where I'm going to strike. That's where I'm going to hit, right there. That's step one. There's three steps. Step two is back, and step three is the first strike. And he's saying, step number one is right there, and step number two and step number, right? You've done this before. Step number two and step number three happened so fast, you don't, wouldn't even call them separate steps. And so John is saying, this is the time to act, and that's why all these people in all of these categories of existence and from different levels in the social strata were saying, what shall we do? You know, divine judgment is an interesting thing. It isn't just about punishing those who do what is displeasing to God. Divine justice is about, or divine judgment is about justice. It's about making things right. Indeed, in the absence of divine judgment, injustice prevails, and wrong is left unanswered. And there isn't anything just or loving about that. And so the prophets and John warn us and tell us to be ready. Indeed, I wonder, are you ready? Am I ready? Christ is coming. What to do <laughs> and what not to do. Let us pray. Lord, make us ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.